All right, welcome back to another episode of the 100% Wild Podcast. I'm Mark Kenyon here with Wired to Hunt, and joining me and Matt Drury here shortly will be the one and only Lee Likoski of The Crush TV Show. And we're going to be chatting with him about a listener-submitted question related to the rut, the timing of the rut, and a whole bunch of different things all kind of related to that. And of course, that's something I know we're all excited about this time of year, you know, looking forward a few weeks ahead to hopefully the, you know, the, the Super Bowl, the whitetail hunting season coming here shortly. So it's going to be an interesting topic. Um, unfortunately, you're going to hear there's a little bit of background noise during this interview as Lee... Um, Lee had a lot of things going on behind him, so hopefully that doesn't um, interfere with your ability to process all the information and to hear stuff. Um, you know, we always roll with the punches, and we appreciate Lee making time in his busy schedule to do this. So hope you enjoy it. Hoping you can hear okay, and uh, until next time, good luck out there too. Thanks for listening. All right, welcome back to another episode of the 100% Wild Podcast. I'm Mark Kenyon with Wired to Hunt. Next to me here, Mr. Matt Dury. Hello, hello. Good to be here. I'm I'm happy and excited because we got a really cool guest. We got a great today. guest. Yeah, I've I've chatted with him a handful of times, and every time I walk away from those conversations, more excited about deer hunting and more informed. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, there's a couple guys. You know, of course, there's a ton tons of guys out there in the real world hunting situations that you just don't know their names. You know, they're not publicized or whatever that yeah. that know the stuff a lot inside of and killers out. out there. But there's a few guys, a handful of guys in the industry. You know, Mark Drury being one. I think Lee Lakoski is definitely another one, and that's who we have the pleasure of joining us today. Lee Lakoski from The Crush. Welcome to the show, Lee. Hey, thanks for having me. Good deal. Well, Lee, before we get into the question of the day, I did want to mention, you know, we kind of have a long um, history, the, the Drury Outdoors, Mark and Terry and, and Lee and Tiffany, of course, um, several different ways that we kind of intertwine. One of them, I edited a couple of Tiffany's first ever hunts really? ba- back when she and, and Lee were, and you guys weren't married yet. Even, um, they were working with the Kiskis at the time. I believe it was the white tails taking it to the extreme video title. <laughs> and I was interning for Mark and Terry and I was in Terry's office down in Bloomsdale. So not our studio. It was his construction shop. And they set my computer up in dad's room, his literal <laughs> office. And he was over my shoulder watching me edit for an entire summer. Oh, and wow. let me tell you, that's not an enjoyable thing, <laughs> but that's where I learned how to edit. One of the major places I learned how to edit with him over my shoulder. And I was working on the, I edited that entire video title. I think it was whitetails taking it to the extreme four wow. or three or one of those. And Lee and Tiffany, and it was Tiffany's two of her hunts that I vividly remember working on those hunts. So that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. They bring him back. You know, that was heck that was, that had to be close to 20 years ago. Yes. You know, like I said, before we were married and that, and she had just hunting. Then we just started filming that like the first year. So that really does bring back a lot of good memories back in those, those days. I tell you. Yeah. Then the other cool little piece of history is I, I believe this is correct. You you let me know, but the place where your home place now, I believe Mark and Terry used to lease that way back in the day, right? Exactly. Yeah, it was it was good because when we bought it, the first thing I did was call Mark. Okay, where's the where are the hot spots? Tell me where they're at. <laughs> Everything is you know, it's cool that that you know, all the places in Iowa you go, you pick the one 
farm in the one little spot of the state that some of you know had hunted before. It's just like, you know, that was that's pretty amazing that that happened that way. You know, me not knowing that, just seeing, I think it's South Market, the ATA show, so I'm talking about a place, and he's like, no, you know, when I'm telling them where it was, like, I know exactly where that is. Terry and I had a giant fight in that tree. Oh, that's the spot, <laughs> oh, that's the spot where they had the fight. I didn't know that. That's even better. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome because we've talked about that fight on this podcast several times notorious <laughs> so it's cool to circle back with where it happened uh-huh. that's so funny well thanks for joining us we're, we're going to dive into the question here but i i just wanted to stroll down memory lane real quickly before we went down this path yeah and we, we got an interesting topic today with our question of the day that i think lee's definitely gonna have some interesting things to share so do, do we want to get right into that one yeah absolutely Hey guys, my name's Evan, I'm from Alabama, and I have a question regarding the rut and the photo period. I've always read and heard that the photo period really determines pretty much everything about the rut, but I was going to see if you guys could explain that in further detail. Like, does the rut peak when the days are at their shortest, or just any information y'all could give me explaining that in further detail would be very helpful. Thanks. All right, Lee, do you want to take a stab at that? You had to give me. You had to give me the biologist question. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, you know, I've heard all that too. I mean, obviously, we've all read about it. We've heard about it. And I've talked to a lot of the biologists about it and and things. But the one thing that never really made sense to me about that was when you go in some of the southern states, like Alabama, you can go to one county that the rut was in November, and you go over one county, and it's the same exact sunrise and sunset. And it's in January, but you know, I Larry Weissoon told me one time about this. He goes, "My opinion on this is that all you have to do is you go to the time of the year the best food source is available in your area and go back six months, and that's when the rut will be." Now that one always seemed to make more sense to me than the photo period, and maybe it is a combination, some of both. But like here, you know, most of our fawns are dropping and. You know, in May and June, you go back, you know, it's it's in, in November, but that's right when all the green up is, that's when our soybeans are coming up. But then you go to some places where it's not agricultural, and I think like in, like I said, in Alabama, somewhere where it's just hardwoods, it's a, it's a month or two later, because that's when you're getting more mass crop and different, different things like that. So that one always made more sense to me, is when the best food source was available, just go back six months. And that kind of what explains to me why some of the southern states that you've got you know the rut in january and into february and you and in the same state and just a different county over what might be a little more farming agriculture stuff it's in november so that always made more sense to me now i don't know which one is like i'm not a biologist i just know what i see because i'm out every day looking at deer and stuff so i can tell you exactly when things are happening you know here on our home farm we have our live camera on our on our uh, on our website and stuff that I can watch deer I can see when they start pushing those around and stuff so I you know I really know my farms and my farm in Missouri that we have now and we have one in Illinois but you know as far, as far as the whole country that's the one thing that kind of made sense to me so you know I, I can't really explain the photo period you know like I've heard all that same same things from different biologists but uh there's always that one hitch when you get some of the places down south when it's why is it two months later 
in the same state, just in a different part of the state, you know that the, you know the, the light isn't it isn't getting darker an hour earlier, one county over. So that's what I was kind of made sense to me, and that's kind of what I I kind of believe that. But I, you know, like I said, I'm not a biologist, but that always made sense to me. What do you guys think? Uh, well, I can jump in, I guess. Um, you know, as as far as the photo period to his question about that. You know, as, as I understand that from everything the biologists I've talked to and everything, I mean, the photo period is basically the amount of light in a day. And that changes at a consistent rate throughout the year, year after year. Photo period, you know, through the eye, as the deer is, is pulling that light, that connects to a part of the brain that then triggers hormones. It triggers testosterone throughout the year in a buck. It triggers estrogen for a female throughout the year. And so those two, those hormones are, are changing throughout the year, like a slow, steady decline and a slow, steady increase as that photo period changes. So, for example, in a buck, throughout the summer, as that photo period increases, we're getting antler growth. As photo period, as your daylight starts, as the day is getting shorter, that starts declining, testosterone starts rising, you get antler uh, velvet drop, and then those bucks start getting you know, pretty amped up, leading into the rut. Females then are estrogens ramping up leading them up to that point where they're ready to breed so from the biologist standpoint everything i hear is that it is a consistent factor photo period is what drives when a female is ready to breed um there's then though a lot of theories though about what might you know what might reveal daylight activity what might lead to the most chasing and seeking and all that kind of stuff now that seems to be really up in the air there can be moon weather a lot of food sources all sorts of different things like that i think that is is up for debate but the photo period piece at least from a scientific aspect there's been a lot of studies around this they've looked to try to see does peak breeding so when the most does are getting bred is that affected by the moon is that affected by temperature and no one's able to correlate those things with peak breeding um it's always connected and correlated with that changing photo period. And they've been able to test this by going and collecting roadkill does and pulling out the fetuses. And then actually there's a fawn measure, a fetus measurement scale. We're able to backdate those fawns, those fetuses. And you can say, okay, based on the length and size of this fawn in April or June or whenever it is, this was, this was actually conceived on November 15th. And they collect thousands and thousands and thousands of these. And they've got basically a bell curve that you get. In most areas, you can talk to biologists. We talked about this on a past episode. Um, you see a consistent bell curve with a peak breeding date on X, and then it goes down on either side of that. So maybe 20% of the breeding happened on November 15th, and then 17% happened on the 14th and 16th, 10% happened on the 13th and the 17th, etc. Um, that seems to be pretty consistent across most of North America, except to, as Lee, as you said, in the south, it gets wonky. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. We looked at, uh, not too long ago, I think Mark found it, there was a, a graph of Florida. And it was like, there were like four or five different peak mm-hmm. breeding. It was really odd. So like to Lee's point, I don't know how that photo period then correlates with those southern states yeah. where just, you know, literally counting over, it's it's completely different. Yeah, and and that's, that's what I've always wondered too. And, and again, this is not me. This is just what I've read and what I've yeah. been told. But what I've picked up on that topic is that there's been a tremendous amount of deer um, relocation in the south. So there's been a lot of little pockets of deer where a little pocket of Florida or a little pocket of Mississippi in the 60s or whenever this was happening, they went and got deer from Wisconsin or Michigan or some of these other northern states, 
brought those deer down, and that's how these little micro-populations of deer were repopulated. And so one of the theories out there is that because of that, kind of genetically ingrained in those populations is the need to have a photo period or whatever that relationship might be different than around them. Now, I think that you're going to see the farther north you get, these deer and the photo period kind of relationship and correlation is stronger because you need to have a consistent breed. You need the right fawn drop in a northern deer herd because... For survival. Exactly, because if you're dropping those fawns too early in the year when it's still too cold and there's no food out there, those fawns aren't going to survive. If you're dropping the fawns too late in the year, they're getting too late of a start and they're not going to be old enough and have the nutrition necessary to handle you know, that cold that's going to start arriving in the fall. So that timing is really important for the species up in the north. But when you get down to the south, those deer, it's not as necessary. So that consistent fawn drop, having the peak breeding at the right time, just if you look at you know natural selection, it's not as important. So that's not selected for through mating and whatnot. So that's that's what I hear. That's what I've read. Um, I don't know if it answers all the questions, but that's kind of what the science shows right now. But it's, it's endlessly fascinating. And I think um, there's so many questions to, to lead, like what you said, the food sources. I mean, I think there's a lot of different things that impact the rut for hunters. And maybe that's what's more important for us is, is what, well, yeah. how does it impact the hunting, <laughs> right, Lee? So I don't know if you have any other thoughts on, right. on hunting factors. Yeah. I've had you know friends that um, like way back when I worked at Juan Archery in, in Minnesota, there's a guy that came around and he had – He'd bring live deer, he'd do seminars, and he'd sell deer pee and stuff. But he could keep, he'd come in you know, any time of the year, and he could keep the antlers on his on his bucks, you know, from, uh, you know, normally when, you know, through March. And, I mean, all the way, as long as he wanted to, to drop them, he had to do is keep some hot does, you know, not let them breed and keep them in cycle. And he said that te- the testosterone would stay in there, and he could keep the horns on them. So, like, when he would come around and do his seminars and stuff there, you know, it was after the hunting season and the, you know, coming into the summer and his bucks all still had horns. He said, yeah, I can keep the horns on them, you know, late and all that stuff. So, you know, I think there's, you know, that you can manipulate, manipulate that, you know, when, you know, I think your bucks will be ready to breed anytime in the does, as long as you don't, they don't get bred, they just keep coming into that cycle. But it was pretty interesting, you know, just guys that had the, you know, had deer farms and things like that, how they could, you know, they could, keep the the horns on the on the deer as long as they wanted to really um so it is interesting you know it is you know that's so much about whitetails is that you know you just there's so many things you don't know i mean there's a lot of things that that you do but like this you know i'm sure it is the shortening of the days when that triggers the testosterone and all that like you're talking about but you know when it comes right down to the exact days of the rut boy that's a tough one to to say but you know like basically most of the time you hunt in the same areas and you kind of know when that's going to be like anytime anywhere in the midwest you know if you get into the, the first part of november you know it's going to be on so but so much of it what you see is going to be weather related you know some, a lot of times people say oh, there was no rut this year it's like well yeah yeah because they're all all the does are bred you know it was this month might be at night or whatever but you know weather will make such a dependent on whether you see it or not because when and warm out why they just do most of it at night and we see that so much you know just how weather dependent it can be so in your opinion you know you guys spend every day out there like you said you spend every day during the hunting season out you know kind of witnessing what's happening around you so in your opinion year after year 
in your area, what are the days that you just would not miss? You know, if you're a hunter and you, you need to take a vacation or whatever to, to, to get, you know, off to go hunting, what's the period that you just would not miss? Uh, my favorite day is November 7th, but if I had to, I tell people that would like the, the 4th through the 14th or something like that. A lot of times when I get to around the 15th, they start getting locked down. You can hear by the helper over there. <laughs> wanted to put in his two cents too but yeah if i had to it'd be like the, the fifth or the fourth through the 14th or 15th a lot of times when i get to the 15th they start getting locked down or a lot of our big ones all have does and then it just it can be the worst time of the year you get so many people that man i want to just come out there and hunt during the rut and it's like yeah if you hit those right days you do but once they get in lockdown it can be a, it can be a terrible time you know i always tell people and you come if it's cold in late season you have way better chance of killing one than you do during the rut because it can be finicky with weather you know here, here we're in southern iowa and it can be you know it can be in the 70s in november and most of the rut activity at night and also you get you know it's such a short period you know you got those seven ten days of of good hunting and then all of a sudden you get to like the 15th and it just seems like it just locks down and it can be you know it can be really terrible hunting and you know even until you get to the end of november but you know you can have great days in there too but um, it's all happening then, but in fact, I always tell people, if you want to be guaranteed, if it's cold, cold weather, late season, you're going to have way better seeing our big deer than you are during the rut because, you know, there's just, there's a lot of deer here and lots of does. So it's like, you get a big one, just catching them in between is tough. Just being in that one right spot, you know, on any farm, it's like, you know, just being in, you know, so many times you go check cameras and the buck you're after was on a different field or different place, you know, 200 yards from me. And you're like, God, you know, that was my chance. He was in between those and I missed him. Now you got to wait another week. But, you know, late season, it's like every single day they're, they're out as long as it's cold. They're, you know, you have a better chance of seeing them anyway. As far so, as the... To me, the rut can be rated a little bit, but, uh, you know, because it can be awesome but it can be terrible too if you got warm weather yeah. mark jury always says that as well late season would be where to hedge your bets when if you got, got the food, food source yeah, yeah yeah now speaking of the warm weather lee how do you handle a warm weather period during the rut how does that change your hunting strategy well mostly it's it, uh, unfortunately it gets worse but yeah it's been more time and you know i'd get in the timber and we you know we put you know with our bobcats going and put little little ponds and stuff in the in the timber and it seemed like that's where I'll have you know, decent luck on those hot days. There's a lot of times, you know, but you got to sit there all day because a lot of times it's midday and those bucks that come in and, you know, even when they have does bedded down with them or whatever, they'll get up and go take a drink in the middle of the day. So, you know, it's tough. I mean, back in the old days, like you're talking about, Matt, when we were first doing our video, I mean, we were, Tiffany and I both had jobs and you just took vacation days to go hunt. So you hunted all day, every day. And that's why it seems like, you know, we're, even though we only had a week or two to hunt back then, we were always were successful because you spent all day. But now that you know, this is what we do for a job and you, you hunt every day of the season, if you try to do that, hunt all day, every day, you just burn yourself out. So, you know, so many times you just go up for, you know, in the morning till 10 or 11 and go in and eat or go change spots or whatever and go check cameras and get back out in the afternoon. But so many of those times back in the old days, you were always shooting our deer like, 11 and 12 stepping in the timber you know and, and so many times we hunted in buffalo county and ted marham and those places where we just had little ponds in the woods and that's what we've did done here too we got little ponds that 
And even the creeks is not so much. There's water everywhere. People are like, well, I don't need ponds. We've got creeks here, but they just don't seem to like to go down to the creek where they get so much open on all sides of them. It's like these little, the small ones that are, you know, we have 30 foot round ponds in the middle of the timber where they feel comfortable about going. And, but those are the times that when it gets tough and it's warm weather, you just basically got to sit there all day and stuff. And we hardly don't do it all that often because, like I said, you just burn yourself out. But if you had, if I only had one week to hunt, like I said, it would be the 4th through the 14th and i'd be sitting there all day and you would within that time frame you would you at least see if not get a shot at one of your good ones for sure can you can you describe for us some of your like ideal rut setups what would some of your best spots look like for rut hunting my best my best spot is a, a spot i call the knob stand it's right in the middle of the timber but it's like a big ridge and then it drops down it's on the far Mark and Terry had the blowout, but uh, we have big food plots. I call them like you know we have our our food plots that are like our killing plots. But then I have like what I call my destination food plots, which are my big fields. And you know we muzzleloader hunt on them, but it's not something that I really you know bow hunt on much because they're big. And I have twenty acre cornfields or bean fields. But this one, this this spot works perfect. If it's in the timber and you got your little road, I can go back in and get you know, get into the stands in the timber, you know, well, all the deer are out in those destination fields. So when I get on that ridge on there, it just drops straight down to the creek. The other side of the creek is our big destination food plot. So every time you're sitting in that, uh, you know, in the mornings, all the deer is compiling off that big food plots up over across the creek and they pile up, you know, right up onto that ridge. But that's where all the does bed. You find those spots like in the wintertime when we're shed hunting, you know, you find all the all the beds and stuff that are up in there. And because it's it's funny because you go look at the stand and you look at it and you're like, really? You want to sit in that thing? Because it's it's pretty open. And you seem like you can get picked off up there, but you hardly ever do. But it's open timber. It's like where a lot of it is thick and underbrush, but this really probably needs to be cut and needs to be thickened up. But that's really the reason that a lot of a lot of does and a lot of deer in general bed in there, especially in the wintertime when it's getting cold because sunlight comes in there. And, uh, you know, there's really hardly any underbrush. And they lay on those ridges, and you see that in the snow. And then that's where I find a lot of my sheds, too, is right on that knob. It seems like the bucks and the does like to, to lay there. But you know that when we hunt there, you get all these does come up, and they, like, we, like before the rut, they come in their bed all around you, and it's hard to get out of there. So that's why you're forced. A lot of times, they always got to stay here all day until they get up and go back down. But finding those spots where where all the does are during shed season is really when you, you find out where you want to hunt in the timber, you know, and it's always the beds and, and stuff from in the snow. But that spot is, is just one of those places because if the deer aren't coming up there and bedding there, the bucks will always be cruising that thing. Every day, if there's a buck that doesn't have a doe, he will he'll cruise that ridge because there will always be does on it and they'll always you know, come up there and check it out. So, you know, we have so many great spots that are, you know, on field edges, but that's, I probably have hunted more days in that stand than any, any other stand. I shot more deer out of that stand than any other stand that we've had to. Now, when you're setting up in a stand like that, basically a doe bedding area during the rut, do you like to get right in the middle of that bedding area or are you typically going downwind of it to try to catch them on that downwind side cruising? Well, you know, this spot was just kind of, I just picked the tree and it turned out that it's the perfect spot if you have a northwest wind because 
most of them will bet out in front of you, all the does and stuff. But see, I don't know what it is, but it seems like every buck that comes in there will walk right to that tree. And I, I don't know. I mean, there are highways that come, you know, one comes east and west off and one north and south. And it's kind of right in the corner of two big trails. But it seems like anytime you see a buck, you see one in there, he's coming to that tree. And we have my camera guys and I, it's like Jeff is here right now. We're just going to go, we're actually going to change that stand because it's the, the stands are getting old. We we're going to do a bunch. We were just talking about this morning. We gotta go change the knob stand, but that is the one that we've hunted more than anything. But we hunted on a northwest wind because it's a big ridge that comes up, but then it's a big dip down below. So even if when deer get behind, they're way below you. So many times the wind will go right over the top of you, and you know you get away with 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 it no matter what, unless they get way up on the other side of the ridge. But then they're so far away, it doesn't doesn't matter that much. You know that you can't even see the deer that are up there, but it's a perfect setup because there's little food plots all around that you know that I have in the timber there too. Yeah, I got I got a little guy here uh, <laughs> wanting to get up and and talk about deer hunting too. But um, yeah, it's perfect because seven food plots in the timber that we hunt, we do really well on those too, because um, it's nice to go get into those little food plots without spooking any deer on because most of them are down those big fields and then they come up in the timber and then they'll hit my little food plots and stuff before they go to bed again so we got you know roads you know, all my farm roads that i bring the tractors in and everything so you can get in there quietly and you hardly ever spook deer out of there you know in the mornings going in but it's up on a hill so i said deer that get down on the downwind side of you they're 20 feet below you so that you normally your scent goes right over the top of them and so that's that's the only thing you got to wait for like a north or northwest wind but it's been so good like this last year we had a big couple big deer on that farm that i hunted on lots of different winds too and it loves some of them were a little bit shaky but boy it's amazing because it's up on a hill that you can even even with south winds the ones that are coming right at you you know if that if the pressures were right and stuff a lot of it would still go right over the top of them with wind blowing right to them so it was it's just it's my favorite stand but uh you know we have quite a few of those but that one just seems to be the one that for 20 years since we've been hunting here that that was the first farm we bought and that's still it was like one of the first stands we put up and just getting that information from mark and terry where they were this is probably five or six hundred yards down from where they had it but um it's been it's been 20 years producing every year it's amazing how that works you know it a lot of times just thinking back when you're on a farm and you see an old timer set you know a wooden set in a tree a lot of times that's you know you're hanging in a tree right next to it right yeah. <laughs> because it's the it's a good spot sign. it's it's amazing because i think those pattern those deer patterns i mean they they're happening through time for certain reasons yeah. and when you find that right tree you stick to it because it's the right spot Yeah, as long as there's not some dramatic change yeah. in terrain or food sources or something like that yeah. the, the deer do what they do for a reason yeah and that usually doesn't change year after year yeah so that's a great point. Um, you mentioned a little bit a while ago about uh, your field edges and how you sometimes hunt that during the rut. Um, and I imagine trail cameras are factoring a lot into how you're choosing where to go during the rut as well. Is that is that accurate? And can you elaborate at all on how trail cams fit into your rut strategy? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, cause like I was saying, on that, on that farm, like when most of our farms have gone in and doze, small food pots you know an acre to three acres some in the timber and those are the ones that you know during the rut that i look at most of our deer off of is off of little food pots for our tree you know so and, and like i said i'll always have big destination food pots that you can keep deer there all winter long so you're not losing them to your neighbors you know i want to bring all my neighbors deer in in the winter time 
So, you know, I'll always have big blue bugs, but I'm a small one. It works that all the time because out, you know, and that's not nice about like on this, I'm not farming. Most of my farms are set up that way too. But I go in on the farm roads and I get like say to the knob stand on my way out, I'll just go around all my little food pots and check out my cameras. So every day that I'm hunting that farm, I'll check those those cameras. You know, and you'll always see it, like, especially during the rut, that you know, nothing, 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 because you know the the buck you're looking for is locked down. And all of a sudden you get like a picture of him on every food plot and he's just, he's up he's, he's in between those he's in between those you got to get out there and he might that works i mean the cameras have have put a lot of bucks on on my walls more than anything i always say you know cameras are the next to my bows things killed more deer for me than anything but you know like a deer i call heavy d is when i hit early in the year and i was so mad i hit him in the top of the shoulder He's right underneath me, and it didn't penetrate in, and it's just so mad thinking you know, you only get a chance at a deer like that once in a lifetime. Then he disappeared, of course, after you hit him, and nothing. But then I started getting some pictures of him, and I could find one of them walk right next to the camera, and I could even see the, the threads of my raged broadhead sticking up, you know, wow. that the, uh, the arrow shaft had come unscrewed. So you can see it was just, you know, it was barely in. But still, you know, I had just a couple pictures of him. And then this is on the same farm. It wasn't on the knob stand, but I want to call it the heavy D field now. It's literally four or five hundred yards from the knob stand. Wouldn't check that camera there and on another little food plot that's kind of connected to it. And he was in there like for three days in a row, all day checking because I hadn't been back in there for a couple of days. I went and checked it. And I, on the 16th or on the 15th of November, and that's about the time he had been locked down the whole rest of the first part of November. And all of a sudden, you know, checking all these cameras, he's everywhere. I mean, all day and night. It's all right, I got to get in there. The next morning, went in, killed him in the heavy D. It's, you know, we named it after him in that field. But without cameras, you wouldn't know. And I just just uh, did a piece uh, on Tiffany, a buck that she killed last year, too, with all the mule deer buck. Her her mom had, like, three years ago when she killed the buck, we saw this deer. And he was like a four- or five-year-old buck, just a nine-point, you know, just a nice buck. But, you know, we called him the mule deer buck because he... He had just a really white, totally white face and a black cap. It like his head looked just like a mule deer. But the next year, but he, he was hardly ever there. We just get a couple pictures of him. He didn't live there. He obviously lived on a neighboring farm. But just you know, during the rut, you'd see him get a few pictures of him. So the next year, he, he hurt his, his elbow or his front knee. It was all swollen up. He was limping on his knee, and he jacked up his rack. I mean, the, his it was his left knee that was, was banged up, and his right side just had like a drop tying and just kind of a mass of stuff out there. I was like, oh, that deer will be screwed up, you know, forever. But you know, we never saw him that year. We just had pictures of him. But all the pictures have been on the same field and where Linda saw him was on that same field. But then the next year, last year, you know, he would have been like six or seven. All of a sudden, he showed him. I actually sent him pictures to Mark. He said, what do you think of this deer, you know, because he just had all these inside points. Like, boy, you know. You know, he just, what do you, how big do you think he is? And everything is, I don't know, I, I think that's what he definitely need to be hunting. But I had a couple of pictures of him in velvet, you know, early season, but then he disappeared again. He was never there. So then we just kept checking the cameras. And just like the previous two years, there was like two days that he was in that field again. I said, he's in between does. You've got to get out there, Tiffany, because this deer doesn't live there. She went out, well, she went out the one night and he came out, but it was too dark because she was in a blind, you know, because it had to be in a blind in the corn. So it gets darker in a blind even, you know, when you look at the footage, like, boy, it looks like it should have been light enough to shoot, but she just couldn't see it through her peep and stuff. So, you know, she just left him that night, but he went out the next night, 
and it came out again and she smoked and it was, you know, whatever, it was 182 inch buck. It was her best deer ever, but it was amazing because he was still limping on that knee and his knee was all swollen up. But boy, he, he straightened out that rack though because that other side had all these inside points and everything was just this giant, but without cameras on. And I can tell you 20 stories like that, that just cameras are, okay, you see them, oh, they're in between, they're in between does, get out there now. And it's like once, once they got their little area that they're chasing the does on, like on my little food pot someplace, but they'll be in there like every day for three, four, five days until that dough is hot and then they'll be gone again. You won't have you know, pictures of them again for, you know, a week or two. So the cameras really, we've killed so many deer like that. Without, without cameras, you wouldn't have near the success that we do. I was going to ask you, what, how long do you think that period is when a buck is in between does? Like you, you kept saying you know three days or so is that because on my lease like it seems like it's a very short amount yeah. of time and then uh, i see them all over and then, and then they're, they're on. gone yeah. and they are gone <laughs> it's you know normally sometimes but you don't even see it and that's why a lot of times they're gone for two and three weeks because that you know a lot of times you have so many does but it seems like the times that we did like when tiffany killed hers was november 26 heavy d was the 16th it's the later you get it seems like, you know, more and more of the does are getting bred. So the later in November you get, the longer that period can be. I mean, they couldn't find, they, I mean, you never know. They could find one in six minutes. But, but you know, that's why it seems like the part, you know, is once you see a big one on a doe, you know, like a lot of times, like my real old bucks, I'll see them like in the last, like around Halloween in the first three or four days. And then they'll just disappear, but then they won't show up at all again until like, you know, the 26th or 25th or something like that. Because I think they're just finding them so fast that you're not even getting chances to, they're not even cruising the food pots looking. There are just so many doe, they just go take one right away. But it seems like a lot of these times that we've been successful has been later in November where probably a lot of those other does are getting bred. So there's just less to choose from the later you get, the longer it is in between. So. But like I said, Tiffany was on the 26th, and you know, mine was on the 16th. But there's a lot of them like that. But so many times, I think there's times you don't, you know, a buck will disappear. And November 1st, you don't see them again until December. But you know, they're just, you know, they're. I'm sure there's some time in between, but you know, you don't have cameras everywhere. So you try to. We've got probably three or four hundred out, but you still can't cover every place. Yeah. So yeah, it's tough, especially when you got a lot of does. Yeah, you, know, you really got to start thinning those out. It's getting too many. Yeah. But with the DHD that we've had a few past few years, we haven't dealt at all. We're trying to build that herd back up. So on the trail camera front, so if I'm if I'm hearing you right, if I had to like boil it down to like the basics of your trail camera strategy during the rut, would you say it's accurate to say that you're checking as often as possible, but only in areas that you can easily access. So areas that you're already passing through, and it sounds like you're maybe driving in, so you're not impacting that deer herd and educating them. Um, and then you're using that information to make quick decisions about when to be in the right place, when that buck is not locked down. Um, A, is that like an accurate simplification of what you're doing and why you're doing it? And then B, where specifically are you putting those cameras? Like, are they just on field edges because they're food plots or are they on scrapes or, or what there? Yeah, that uh, uh, second question first. Like, I mostly most of my camera always on flat edges and on scrapes, you know, because that's you're just gonna get a lot of bucks in them. And I've never used cameras really to kill deer so much, although it ends up that way. You know, it's more to take inventory of deer. You know, it's not like you put them up, you get a strategy. Okay, I saw this buck coming down this trail three days in a row at three o'clock. So I'm gonna get there at two o'clock, and at three o'clock he's gonna come. It never really works that way. 
It's more, you just got to know an area that a buck is coming to. And mostly my food plots. And, and the reason I have them mostly on the edge of the food plots is just for that reason, is that I take my ranger in and to go hunt someplace, then when I'm done, I'll just cruise it around the fields and pull all the cards. And so I can check them easy without going into the woods. And that's the reason I think that, you know, we've really seen a lot is that, um, yeah, we I used to write articles and everything. I just no pressure or low pressure and all that stuff. But I don't think that's the case. I start looking at back in the early days, you know, when I was hunting 20 years ago, if you saw a big deer, it was coming out the last 30 seconds of light. Now we're seeing these six, seven-year-old bucks out at three in the afternoon. You know, I was like, why is that? And I think a lot of it is because it's not that we have no pressure. It's that we have consistent pressure over the entire year. So like every day... I go out, I'm doing something with deer that I'm home, which is most of the time. But I'll go out and I'll take my my uh, my rangers and I'll drive like every day, like you know, two, three times a week on every farm. I'll go out and and check cameras and check my fields and check my food plots. But I think, you know, over the nine months of non-hunting, they're used to me being in there. And a lot of times I'm filling feeders and putting out minerals and stuff and they're associating me nine months of the year with food you know okay I'm, I'm filling the feeders and uh, they're used to me being there all the time and like now I heard, a lot of them won't even run out of the fields i run off to the to the edge of the field stand and they'll come right back out but then when I get to deer hunting season then I kind of do it the same way I'm into each one of those farms just two or three times a week you know hunting them around so over a 12 month period it never changes and I think the problem is is like if you don't go in there in your farms all year round it's the exact opposite of what most people's places are you go, you, nobody's in there for nine, ten months of the year, and also you get the hunting season, and even hunting it just on the weekends is pressure to them. Hey, something is different. They notice, you know, they always know that you're there. So I think that, that's why I always make sure I take my gas ranger, not even my electrics, all summer, make sure they hear the thing and going around checking all the cameras, all the food plot stuff, so that when it gets to hunting season, that doesn't change for them. And that's, I think, the difference. You go like to, like, you know, like I used to hunt in Wisconsin, you know, you get, once you got to gun season, you know, you might as well forget it. You never see a deer unless you have a spotlight at midnight because it's like, I think, so much of the year, there's no pressure, you know, bugs and hot and muggy and stuff in the woods. There's nobody in there. And the deer just get used to nobody being there. And all of a sudden, you get to gun season and you got the pumpkin patch comes out and there's a thousand mm-hmm. orange jackets in every tree that just freak out you know, it's just totally different but like for us it's like november doesn't look any different than july did to us or you know, it's, it makes no difference what month it is it's always the same the same routine and then you just look at you know deer that live in the suburbs they like they'll they're bedding in people's yards they're in your driveway it's not because there's no pressure it's because they got they sent they smell people all the time and it's never harmed them so that's kind of the way that we've got our farms going and make sure that out there a lot but i'm always in the fields like i said it's pretty miserable in the timber so i try to stay out of the timber and that's why a lot of our hunts will be on those field edges because that's where i feel deer are used to being there and i think i can get away with a lot more scent too because you know during the summers you know i don't do anything with scent control you're sweating and anything they get a snout for lee and tiffany every day of the year but then when i go out to, to hunt we do everything that we possibly can and they, even so many times they come down windy and they smell you and they do you know no, they call you they got to give you the head bob and the stomp and everything but then they flick the tail and walk through then you know you got them but they just figure hey he was here an hour ago or is that 200 yards not 20 yards right there so i think we get 
with a lot more. Um, they'll tolerate a lot more of our scent because they know us. And I think they'll tolerate a lot more of us just hunting, you know, two or three times a week on every one of the farms because they've grown up that way. A lot of these deer that are, every old deer that we have now, you know, has grown, grown up here. I mean, you know, every we've got most of our farms and we've had for 10 to 12 to eight, nine years. I mean, most every deer that's alive on there the whole life has been the same thing with us being around in there and it's never bothered them. So I think that's really, really added to our success is why we're seeing a lot of our old bucks. We're seeing a lot of them in broad daylight. You know, it doesn't have to be the last or first camera light. And this, so we can get away with a lot of scent. And, you know, like I said, we used to write articles about no pressure and keeping anything out of there. I think that's wrong. I think it's consistent pressure year-round that it never changes. July shouldn't look any different than November to a deer. And, and you know, so that's, I think it's really worked for us that way. Um, and that's why, I, you know, I put the cameras on the on the field edges. I check them all year-round. I never take them down because I'm always checking them through, you know, shed season to see when my big ones are down or which ones that have dropped so when our big one you see it one side down or both sides down on them okay i'm getting out there and getting them before the squirrels do or my neighbors or somebody else but <laughs> but then you know by the time you're with shed season you're in turkey season so i was like well let's just kind of see where where the turkeys are um you know what fields they're in where they're at and stuff and by the time turkey season's over well now they're already up the twos are starting to split off i might as well just get pictures of them all the way through so i keep going year round so i'm always checking them and always looking at them and so the deer get used to me, you know, going around the fields, pulling cards. So, you know, that's the way when, I, when I'm hunting, when I'm hunting that farm, I'll normally go and pull them all when I come out in the afternoon. Kind of flies in the face of everything you, you know, you as a hunter, you've heard or whatever, but it makes sense. It makes logical sense too. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and well, life. think about the farmer, you know, right. every farmer always says like, they ain't scared of that truck. They don't yep. care about that four wheeler. You know, they, well, because they see that farmer every day and the guy's never threatened them, right. you know, and he's probably feeding them, you know, whether he knows it or not. So it does make sense. Yeah. I mean, you're basically conditioning them to a yeah. certain stimuli and they basically eventually, as yeah. long as they are not. As long as it's not associated with a negative consequence yeah, yeah. for him, it's not so bad. Pav- Pavlov. Yeah. Pavlov. Pavlov. Dog, yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting. I've heard Lee mention this before, and it always kind of, every time I hear it, I'm like, oh, man, I don't know if that worked where, I work, where I'm at, but it makes sense. And maybe, and maybe you know, it could, be, it could be applied in certain ways. Like, for example, I know some guys even in Michigan who use something, a slightly adjusted version of this, but just with trail cameras leading up to this season, they start doing this, and they do the drive-in midday check cameras almost every every day possibly can on their properties and they do somewhat condition them to that type of activity and even in a heavily pressured state like michigan i think in some circumstances according to a few people i've talked to it it works so it's i think you have to be careful how you apply it yeah but it's it's an interesting theory and it obviously works for lee and i'm curious to see how it might work other places well, Mark, Mark's talked about this before where – because I asked him he, this last year when he killed Danger, the 217 buck that he killed. He put that box blind up just like days before, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they killed that deer. And I, I said, Don't, weren't you afraid? Because it's a pretty oh, yeah, bold move, right, yeah. on a deer that size. And, you know, I go, weren't you afraid that that, that new structure in the middle of his bedroom was going to freak him out? And he's like, no. He goes, these deer have lived around – especially, you know, they've lived around these blinds or these structures their entire life to Lee's point. It's like, they don't know any different, you know, it's just something new, you know, it's just, you know, set up there one day and one day it wasn't, it doesn't mean anything to them. So, and I think, yeah, I mean, it varies. It's all 
property and location depending, yeah right some areas these deer might be way more jumpy about something yeah, like that some yeah. areas they won't be and you just kind of figure out what your region's like or what your specific deer herd's like the and, dna uh, of your farm yeah right yeah, figure out the dna of your farm and those deer and then and then once you kind of have a, your head wrapped around that then stick to that carefully respect whatever level of um impact they'll allow yeah and then hunt smart very cool so We've been on here a pretty decent time, Matt. Do we need to wrap things up here? Yeah, I appreciate you joining us, Lee. I always love hearing you and Tiffany's um, you know, perspective because you guys, like I said, you've been doing it for so many years at such a high level. Oh, yeah. And you know that you don't get there by accident. So I appreciate you joining I know. us. I, I'd love to have you on again sometime in the future, Lee, just to hear your stories, to hear more stories about all these different hunts you've been on. Um, I'm sure there's some interesting ones in there, and uh, I enjoyed getting here a few today. So thank you, Lee. Sure. Any time, man. I'd love to. You know, anytime I talking about deer, I'm in. <laughs> yep. Good deal. Ditto. All right. Well, thank you so much. Good luck the rest of the season, Lee. And then uh, I'll leave our listeners and viewers with a quick reminder that if you'd like to submit a listener-submitted question of your own for a future guest and for us, you can definitely do that. We'd love it if you did. You can head over to wiredtohunt.com slash 100% wild. That's one zero zero. Then the words percent wild there'll be instructions for exactly how to do that you can also subscribe to the audio version of this podcast on the apple podcast app stitcher google play wherever you listen to your podcasts we will be there as always you can follow along and watch the podcast at drury outdoors youtube channel and while you're there please subscribe because we have non-stop constant hunts original hunts that we're hitting every day dod tv uh killing in the kitchen uh all kinds of cool stuff so as always follow us on social media at drury outdoors and until next time thanks for listening guys yeah. peace